If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Jamie. Jamie became a mum at 44 to her gorgeous daughter, Charlie, and lives in Western Australia. So welcome to the podcast, Jamie. I would love to start by understanding what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I've always wanted to be a mother. I um, have been married in the past. Um, obviously, that didn't work out. I've had a couple of long-term relationships in the past that, again, haven't worked out. Um, unfortunately, this year I'll be 46 years old. So, um, you know, tick-tock, tick-tock. <laughs> um, so it was just one of those things that really I thought about probably as I approached 41 the most um and I was just in that kind of mindset where you know how am I going to feel when I wake up one morning and realize that potentially I've missed the boat Mm. so um yeah it was just something I toyed with for a little while and um I confided in a work friend um about just this you know stupid idea that I have (laughs) And she was just like, no, go for it, go for it. So the more I toyed about it and researched and read about it and realised that there's such a huge community of us out there in Australia, I had no idea. I was like, this is this is amazing. Like, I, it, it's just something that I had no idea existed. So uh, what's the word? You know, we have such a large presence. So, um yeah, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a crack. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. At least I have tried and I won't have that feeling of waking up one day and going, damn it, I should have done something while I was younger. Did you um, try to get pregnant with any of your previous relationships or your marriage? Um, my marriage I did, but it was that we didn't really like we didn't go through any fertility treatment or anything like that. It was just kind of like mm, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So we weren't really focusing too much on it. Um, so it didn't work. <laughs> um, and then not long after my marriage, um, I say fell apart. We just kind of like drifted apart, really. Um, so yeah, that was kind of that I mean I've always known that I had endometriosis um, from a very 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 small um, teenager I think I was I think I was trying to remember the other day when it was the first time I got my period I think I was about 14 and my very first one was painful so I've always known that um, I had that and back in that back in those days it was kind of like oh she will never have children because she has endometriosis like it was just a it was just a done deal, like that's it. So I guess most of my life I grew up just accepting that, like that was just. Isn't that sad? Oh. Yeah, so I just thought, oh, if I try and it works, well, great. If it doesn't, well, I've always known that I can't have children, so it's not a big disappointment. Mm. So, um, 
Yeah. So what happened then after that, um, after I, you know, toyed with this idea and I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to just see if I can get the support that I need to take myself through this journey. Um, And I went and saw my GP who loved my GP. She's amazing. And she's like, this is the best idea. This is fabulous. You oh. go and see this this doctor. Um, you do this here. Let's get all your tests ready so that when you go, you're going to be ready and um, all of that. So I I had a really positive experience um, with my GP from the word go, which I think helped because I do think that there's a lot out there that are kind of like, no, that's a terrible idea, and kind of maybe people change their mind after that. Um, so I went to my first um, specialist appointment. Um, I had done all the blood tests that would be required already. Um, so we were pretty much, you know, ready to go. Um, my um, egg count was very low. I think it's, is it the AMA? A, yeah. I think mine was 3.6. And that, at that point I was forty. Three. That doesn't seem so low for 43, but. Um, no, I mean, I guess it's low in the scheme of things, but for my age, it wasn't too bad. Um, but the, my specialist did say to me, he said, we, we've got a big task on our hands here because of my endometriosis and also because of my low um, egg count. So I was just kind of like, well, what's the odds? And, and he was like, you know, probably less than 15%. And then of that 15, well, that was to fall pregnant and then carrying for um, full term um, and having a live birth would be even less than that. Wow, tough odds going into it. It it was tough odds going into it. And I was just kind of like, well, you know, it's not 0%. So let's try. Let's try. I did give myself like a cutoff. Like, I mean, how long do you try for? Um, and with my donor, I had enough supply for, I think five rounds. And I said to myself right after those five rounds, if it hasn't worked, then I'll call it quits then. And and I'd be happy with that. You know, I'd wake up one day probably missing something, but at least I won't wake up saying I didn't try. You would have done everything possible. Yeah. 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 So, um, yep, off I went to that first appointment um, with my clinic. And I'm not sure whether it's WA specific or Australia specific or even if it's a thing anymore. I had to serve a six month cooling off period. Okay. Which meant I had to do an um, initial counseling session mm-hmm. to kickstart that six month period. And then at the end of the six-month period, I had to have a second counselling session. And, of course... not what I went through in Victoria, but that doesn't mean it's WA-specific or just your clinic. Yeah, I I don't think it's... weird that they'd make it that long given your age and other factors, though. You'd think they'd find a way to shorten Mm. that, but okay. Well, my GP did say, oh, they'll waive that for you. Don't worry about it. But they're like, no, we have to. It's... I don't know, potentially law. Something tells me it's been reduced to three months now. Um, But when I went through it, it was six months. So my calling off period um, ran from November to March. And during that period, I couldn't do anything. I wasn't on the wait list for um, donor sperm. I couldn't, you know, do IUI or anything like that it was just kind of everything was on hold initially I was kind of like oh this is going to be the worst six months because like by that stage I'm like all right let's go let's go um but it was actually really good for me personally because you know some days you wake up and you think oh yeah this is a great idea and then other days you wake up and and you think oh gosh this is a terrible idea but it makes you think through things well made me think through things quite significantly within the six months on the flip side to that it is kind of confusing because you do you know go from yes great idea to no terrible idea quite often as well and that can be confusing as well um so at the end of the six month period I went back to see my specialist and knowing that I had endometriosis um we both um had already previously discussed that I would need a laparoscopy to um I guess, clean up the endometriosis. Now, I could have done it. Prior to all of this treatment? So you went 43 years and just suffered? 
Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. Look, at my my pain wasn't too bad. There's a lot of women out there that have it much worse than me. So I just kind of, you know, two days out of the month I was bad and then the rest of the month I was relatively okay. And I know some women suffer, you know, four weeks out of every four weeks. Mm. So I'm lucky in that aspect, but it was still an issue and it was still something that needed to be dealt with so that we could provide the best I guess, environment for what we're about to embark on. So um, we booked in the um, laparoscopy. Now, I could have had that done during the six-month cooling-off period, but um, it was my understanding um, from advice from my specialist that it does endometriosis, endometriosis does grow back. So with every period, you know, you kind of get a little bit, more and more so he's like let's do it right at the end so that you're as fresh as a daisy uh, ready to accept the um, little m babies Um, so we did that on the 26th of march now (laughs) this is where it gets a little bit complicated Um, and i hope i don't cry Um, so i went into hospital i got dropped off at the hospital about 11 o'clock in the morning um went and registered Um, The lady said, oh, you didn't really need to be here till like one because you're not scheduled until like later this afternoon. And I was like, oh, I'm here now. So I spent hours in a a hotel room, in a hospital bed, just waiting, watching TV, kind of getting a little anxious and, yeah, not really looking forward to it at all. And, and of course, as the the afternoon progressed, I'm thinking, oh, can we just get this over and done with? Like I'm getting quite, you know, nervous about this. Um, anyway, they came and got me, um, from memory, it was about quarter past four in the afternoon. Okay. So so they wheeled me out, popped me into the holding bays. The anaesthetist came out and I got visibly upset. I'm petrified of needles, which isn't great when you're going through IVF, but, um, and just, (laughs) just really, you know, not great in in that setting. I don't think anyone is really, but I was visibly upset. And he's like, look, you're in great hands. We've done this procedure thousands of times before. We're going to take great care of you. Um, You know, you've got nothing to worry about, which was nice to hear, but didn't calm my nerves much at all. So um, anyway, off we go, went in. So that was probably by that stage about Mm 4.30. The next thing I remember was I woke up and I was in, not quite in the ambulance, but there was ambulance officers standing by my bedside um, and they said, they they said something along the lines to me, "Um, Jamie, we're just taking you to another hospital because we can't care for you correctly at this hospital. They didn't have an ICU unit because it was just like a day, a day said, surgery type thing so I was like I was like what time is it like I'm out of it completely out of it all I can see is these ambulance officers and there's there's cords and everything running off me and and I from memory I think they said it's 10 30 p.m okay. and I'd just woken up so I went under about 4 30 for a laparoscopy which takes I don't know, what, 40 minutes maybe. Um, and so this was 10.30 p.m., completely out of it. Now, I also remember when I woke up, before anyone even spoke to me, and, th- and this to me doesn't make any sense to me to this day, is I woke up and I immediately thought, oh, no, not again. Mm. I, don't, I don't know what that means, but I had this strong, oh, my goodness, this has happened again. I have no idea why I thought that. Anyway, as it turns out, um, I ended up having a midline laparotomy, which for those that aren't familiar with it, it is a vertical incision from above my belly button right down to my pubic bone, basically, and completely opened up, cut through all my, you know, muscles and things like that. Kind of like a caesarean then, but the other way, yeah? Yes, correct. Um, so my scar is about 25 centimetres long, um, vertical, up my my um, stomach. 
And basically what had happened during the surgical procedure, in fact, right at the beginning, um, is I had developed an internal bleed, which um, my surgeon could not locate. And obviously my surgeon is a um, gynecologist surgeon. Um, So he had to ring and call in a vascular surgeon to complete the surgery basically because of this bleed that they couldn't locate and they couldn't fix. So hence why it probably took so long. Um, I don't really know what took so long, to be honest, but I don't know, maybe the surgeon was playing golf or something he needed to finish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So when I did come to and I was transferred um, to a much larger hospital who had the facilities to care for me, I ended up in ICU um, for 24 hours. Um, When I did come to a lot more when I was in the ICU I had and I don't know why I had cannulas everywhere I had them in my legs I had them in my neck I had them up my arms everywhere and and they're just like you know taking them out and I I, I didn't really like needles as well (laughs) yeah no I, I didn't really know what was going on and I didn't I didn't really I say I didn't really care at that stage. I was very, very high on drugs. Um, so I was just took everything in my stride while I was in um, the ICU unit. In fact, my friend works as an emergency nurse at that same hospital and I was messaging her saying, are you here? Can you come and visit me and stuff like that? So she came up and saw me, which was nice. Um Yeah, obviously, once the drugs wore off, that was a a completely different story. So I could basically not move um, because everything had been cut open. Um, My pain was very well controlled, but it was still, you you still can't, you still can't move. Um, I had a catheter in, which I said to the ICU nurse, if you don't take this out, I'm going to rip it out because I could feel it and it was uncomfortable. And every time I moved, it was just like, and she's like, well, you're not going to be able to go to the toilet because you can't get up. And I was like, I will get up and go to the toilet if you please just take this out. (laughs) So she took it out and I did end up getting up to go to the toilet, but I needed three nurses to take me and I nearly fainted and, you know, all that type of stuff. So it was a bit of a confusing time um, while we were there. While I was in ICU, um, my gynecologist surgeon, so my specialist, um, came and visited me and explained to me um, what had happened to the best of his ability. He was like, I don't know why you developed this bleed. Um, And, in fact, it turns out my bleed was right at the back of my um, cavity, right just above my spine. So he's like, even like you know, his surgical instruments or something like that. Don't go down that far. So it's not, you know, something that he did wrong. It's just some unexplained um, thing that happened to this day. One of those point zero zero one chance of things going wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so 24 hours in ICU, then I was transferred um, to the ward um, and just basically spent the next two weeks in hospital, pretty much flat on my back, apart from when the nurses came in and said, you need to get up and walk. And it was just, it was horrific. Like I, just the nausea and the the pain. I mean, the pain again was very well controlled, but it's still you still can't do it. You know what I mean? It might not be painful, but Your muscles for whatever reason. What they need to be doing. No, yeah, be. yeah, exactly. So, and it was actually during this day um, in the ward where I received a phone call from um, my anaesthetist, um, the one who I was speaking to in the holding bay, who was reassuring me, saying you're in great hands, et cetera, et cetera. And this phone call really kind of hit home when I when I received it and I don't really know why he needed to tell me this but I guess he had an obligation to um but his words were and to the best of my knowledge and memory were it really was touch and go as to how this was going to end for you wow so up until that point I was obviously devastated like completely and utterly 
on my back could couldn't move um and that just kind of was like wow how do you process something like that do you know what I mean and so I was just kind of like I I just hung up the phone and I was like what does that mean what does I, I don't know so um yeah two weeks two weeks in hospital. Now, I think it's important to mention here, prior to starting this journey, I um, competed in my first lot of bodybuilding competitions and did really well. I came away um, from my first season with um, five gold medals and three silver. So awesome, yeah. (laughs) And that was immediately prior to starting this. Obviously, I knew I couldn't do both journeys in conjunction with each other. Um, So... For me, um, that scar that I had um, or that I have on my stomach was something that I couldn't look at. I didn't want to acknowledge. I just, I I, I couldn't deal with it. I I just could not deal with it. Um, And towards the end of the two weeks in hospital, obviously um, the nurses came and we had to take the um, dressings off um, and I I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. It was just like, I put the sheet up so I couldn't see her undoing, you know, kind of like a cesarean hanging hanging a sheet up. And that nurse sat with me for quite a long time, helping me get the courage to pull the sheet down to, to have a look at it. She's like, you don't need to touch it, just have a look at it. And it was just devastating, absolutely devastating um, for me to look down and see, wow, what do you do with that? <laughs> so big and and my belly button wasn't mine it was it's a new belly button and it just looked completely completely different and completely awful um compared to where I was you know just previously um eventually I lowered the sheet and and had a look at it there was a lot of tears there was a lot of shaking and and you know coming to trying to come to terms with the fact that this is now real and it's a reality that I'm I'm left with that um and she sat there for a little longer a little while longer and and helped me build up the courage to actually touch it and because you know I need to bathe and stuff like that when I get home so I need I need that um encouragement so she was just oh the nurses that took care of me were absolutely amazing um yeah and then I came home and realized that I basically couldn't even open my back door I live alone obviously being a single a single person I live alone came home opened the front door went to open the back door because the house had been locked up for two weeks um and couldn't even open the back door just yes you use your stomach muscles for absolutely everything yeah um so yeah that was the start of my then you know two to three month period where I literally was either in bed or on the couch laying down um, so after obviously having such an active lifestyle prior to that as well mentally it was really tough I imagine yeah and again I live alone so there's a lot of time to be thinking and to be asking why me you know and I found it very difficult at that stage to see the brighter side of things the bright side is obviously I'm alive and I'm going to get better and I'm going to you know go on to live a a great life but at that point I'm alone I'm I can't walk properly I can't take care of myself properly so it's it's very very hard to to see the the bright side um I had a couple of um friends that would regularly come and visit me which I hung out for um but you know people work and people have their own lives and things like that so they can't be there 24 7 and and I get that but it was a very lonely dark dark time um where I just laid there and obviously watched rubbish on tv but just zoned completely zoned out and just thought why 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 and then of course there were the thoughts of well what about my single mum by choice journey is this over for me and for a long period there the answer to that question was yes I was like I can't I can't do this it's I can barely do do what I need to do now let alone you know think about doing something like that 
it's important to note I was obviously in the trenches at that point. Like, you know, it, it didn't, I, I don't ever think that now, mm. but at that point I was just kind of like everything is over. It's yeah. done. It's dusted. But, you know, I eventually got better, which was great. Um, I eventually regained my strength and I was able to go back to the gym and do the things that I used to do. Um, I had to start from the ground up, um, which was difficult as well, but I got better. And then those thoughts started coming back into my mind about what if I wake up and miss the boat? (laughs) So whilst... You know, there was a little bump in the road. Um, there was a point probably about five months after where I was kind of like, I'm not going to let that little bump become a mountain that I can't climb over. Yeah. Um, and I went back and saw my specialist and, and said, I'm ready. And he's like, excellent, let's do this. <laughs> Remembering, of course, I'm uh, by that point I was 44. Mm-hmm. Um, about to turn, no, I was, I was 44, probably about to turn 44, in fact. Um, and he was like, you know, TikTok, endometriosis, low egg count, old, old lady. I'm using inverted commas. Um, 35 is an old lady. So yeah, (laughs) I know, I know. Um, so, you know, he, he planted that back in my mind. Um, but we, we went for it. So I got myself on the donor list Um, and I thought that I was going to have to wait quite a while Um, but it turns out that there was actually some availability already on that list luckily for me Um, so there was and I think I've heard a couple of your um, other guests say that there's there wasn't a lot of choice Um, and this was just during COVID as well so after the worst of it but still during COVID so I don't know whether that had something to do with the Australian wide shortage definitely affected supply yes yeah so um, it wasn't long after that um, appointment and going on the donor list that I was offered a donor so there was one available um, and I, I, I should take a step back. So with me, I underwent all of the um, genetic testing and things like that as well. So um, obviously knowing how old I was, I wanted to make sure that the circumstances were as perfect as I could possibly make them. Um, so I was only interested in um, viewing donors who had also been genetically tested and that we were a compatible match. Um, So this one donor that I was um, offered, I I, I kept hold of him for a little while. Now, he didn't feel right from the word go, but I I, I kept hold of him because I was just kind of like, well, maybe this is all that's out there. Like, you know what I mean? I I can't, maybe this is my only option. Um, But in the end, I handed him back because that feeling of him not being right just didn't go away. And it was was hard to hand him back because I was kind of like, well, now I'm going to have to wait for the next donor to come up. Um, And, in fact, when I did hand him back to the clinic, she says, oh, I've got another one um, to, to, to give you. So I was like, oh, fantastic. This is just working out perfectly. I thought I'd have to wait and, you know, things like that. And so she emailed me his profile straight away. Um, and as soon as I opened it and read it, I was like, I'll take him. He was you. perfect. <laughs> he, was, he looked like me, so tall, um, blue eyes, you know, all those types of things. Um, and yeah, he was genetically a good match for me. Um, there was no, you know, medical history that I needed to be um, considering or anything like that. And was he Australian so, or an overseas donor? Uh, no, he was Australian. Okay. Yeah, Australian. There was, um, if I wanted to go overseas, there was a larger list. Yeah. It still wasn't extensive, um, but there, it was greater. And, in fact, I did look at it. Um, but for whatever reason, I chose um, this gentleman. Um, and there was a section on his profile as well that says, you know, why did you, why have you donated? Um, and I just really liked what he wrote. Um, I thought it was really 
caring and and thoughtful for for a young guy to kind of like sit back and go you know what maybe I can I can help somebody um a lot of young men I know are just kind of like right where are we going drinking this Mm -hmm. afternoon boys like you know and and here he is thinking or considering helping people in my situation and and, and, you know couples in in different situations as well potentially um so yeah his, his favorite foods were the same as mine his hobbies and all that type of stuff were were um, similar to mine as well. So I said to the um, clinic, I said, yep, I'll take him. That's great. My period's due in like a couple of days. Like, can we get the show on the road? And they're like, absolutely, come in and we'll, we'll you know, give it a first crack. So I was really excited, you know, after the road that I've gone through to, to get there. Um, so, yeah, we started um, at the beginning of November um and I started my first cycle um being a little bit scared of injections I was about to ask about that yes <laughs> yeah and my um specialist knowing damn well of that um one of the drugs that he gave me was actually um called Ilonva yeah Ilonva and that is one injection that covers you for seven days Ooh. So I didn't have, (laughs) yes, so I was like, I'll take it. Thank you very much. I mean, if it was a second-class drive, I didn't want to take it. Like, I'm like, I want to give myself the best opportunity here. And he's like, no, no, it's perfectly fine. Um, But, yeah, for my first couple of injections, I did have to drive to the clinic and they did have to help me with it because there was no way I was going to do it um, at home. Remembering also I still have a fresh scar running vertical up my stomach, which you need to inject yourself in your stomach. So that was you know, not ideal. Um, but I did it in the end. I think I had two injections at the clinic and then did the others myself. I responded super well to um, my drugs. And in the end, I think I only gave myself the two injections at the clinic, two at home, and then my trigger. Okay. So I really didn't need um, that many at all. Thank the Lord. Um, so, yeah, I managed, I managed to do those. My trigger shot really stressed me out because, you know, if you don't do it at the right time, then, you know, the flow-on effect is is terrible. And I'm sitting here thinking I don't have the opportunity to go, all right, I'm ready. No, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready. All right, I'm ready. No, I'm not ready. <laughs> um, but I think the time, the time sensitivity really helped me because I was just like, right, let's, let's get it done. Um, so that was, I think my trigger was on a Saturday. So my egg collection was therefore on the Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went in, um, I only had, um, four, they were expecting to get four eggs. So I had a very low, um, number of eggs, which was not surprising, but also they didn't give me high doses of stims. So they weren't expecting massive numbers. Um, they were only expecting a few. So um, I went back into hospital, um, but it had to be there at 6.30 in the morning um, in preparation. I think I was second or third on the list for egg collection that day. So I'm in the hospital room and I'm not feeling great because the last time I was in a hospital room, it was not great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was doing okay. Um, So they came and got me and, of course, I think I got quite emotional as soon as they started, you know, wheeling me down the corridors and things like that. Um, But it's when I actually went into the operating theatre to for my egg collection, you know, there's people everywhere, there's bright lights, um, there's someone there ticking off your name, why are you here, you know, what's your donor number, you know, all that type of stuff. But when I walked into the um, operating theatre, somebody, I don't know who it was, said to me, oh, just hop up on that table. Now it's the operating table that's got the arms, you know, sticking out the side. And I was like, there ain't no way I'm getting on that table. I physically could not get on that table. And at that point, um, I didn't realise that I was still holding on to, I guess you could call it post-traumatic stress. Mm. I, I don't know. I didn't even know I had it, but I just absolutely lost 
all control of everything. I was hysterical. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I certainly couldn't tell them what my name and date of birth was, let alone my donor number to make sure that, you know, they were going to um, use the right sperm that I'd, you know, chosen. And and the, the only way that they could get me to calm down was to put me under. So as you're standing up somehow. Oh, well, no, they did manage to get me on the bed, but I was like, I'm not voluntarily getting on that bed because from what I know is I nearly lost my life on that bed a short month, short few months ago. The bed looks the same. I know we're in a different place, but it looks the same and it's the same to me. Um, so yeah, they put me, they put me under, they did manage to obviously get my name and date of birth and, and my donor number and, and things like that off me to make sure that everything was, you know, perfect. Um, and I, and I, I remember just being so wound up inside that I, I just couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel, but I remember vividly them injecting me with the anesthetic to, to put me to sleep. And as soon as they put that in my arm, I just, I I looked up and whoever was, you know, above me, I was like, oh, that feels so much better. Like I was just immediately relaxed and then I went to sleep. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was, I I think that's important um, to, for me to mention the fact that, you know, that didn't go well for me. Um, At the end it went well, obviously, but the whole, experience of being back in the theatre and understandably no I I didn't want to have a bar of that I I came through and you know I had my four eggs so what they saw on a scan was what they um, got out of me so um, that was perfect Um, I wasn't expecting massive numbers so I was happy with the four Um, you know you have your cup of tea and your sandwich or whatever it is and 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 off you go so I think now my memory is a bit foggy with this bit, but I think they phoned me that afternoon or the following morning, I can't quite remember, um, and said that we have, um, out of the four, we have two embryos that have taken. I'm pretty sure it was probably the day after. So that's this is the Tuesday. Um, now I'd already agreed with my surgeon and my, uh, my specialist, sorry. And he suggested to me that we do a double transfer, mm-hmm. just given my age, um, you know, all those types of things, which is quite interesting because I do have some friends who are going through IVF at the moment who are of similar age to me and they won't do a double transfer because, you know, of the risks of yeah. your multiples, I guess. Um, but my surgeon was your risk is very, very low of a mul- for a multiple. So let's pop into and give you, you know, the best chance of at least having a singleton if we can get that um, for you. Um, so the fact that I only had two embryos and I was going to do a double transfer, my clinic phoned me very early in the morning and they said we'd like to do a day one transfer. Okay. Wow. Now that's... In WA, I'm not sure about the rest of Australia, it's very, I think it's a little bit controversial and and quite unheard of to do a day one transfer. Um, And I was like, oh, I thought, you know, what happened to day three and five? And and they're kind of like, well, this is our thought process behind it. You have two embryos and we're transferring two. So we don't necessarily need to wait to find out which one's better you know, which one develops better than the other so that they can grade them and then you choose the, the best out of the bunch that you've got. They're like, you've got two and we're transferring two. So there's no need to wait. Also, you're probably a better incubator for those eggs or for those babies um, than the and a Petri dish. The Petri dish, <laughs> effectively. And I was like, you know what, that makes total sense. Like they've got better chance of, survival I would have thought um inside me so I was like all right I'll come down now let's let's do this that actually makes perfect sense because I think a lot of the time they're waiting do we get one that we can freeze as well as a backup but if you've only got two and you're going to use them both why not yeah 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 absolutely absolutely. um so and again all of my um friends that are doing or have done IVF they're like what a day one transfer like that's unheard of um but I was like well we tried 
let's just give it a go. Um, so I, I, you know, raced on down there to the um, to the clinic, and and at that stage, I was second guessing my decision to transfer to because I was like, what, what if got? this does come out as twins? And I'm and and I actually had a little mini counselling session while while I was there because I was quite obviously. Shall we say? And I was like, oh, I just don't know. Like, twins is a lot different being solo than a single turn, you know, or this type of thing. And they're like, well, if you don't want to do a double transfer, that's fine, but we'll cancel the day one transfer and then we'll wait for the day three and day five to choose the best um, embryo. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a discussion and a bit of thought around it. And I was like, you know what? If I end up with twins, okay. <laughs> you just do right like there's no other option so I was like come on let's do this so um off we went and I had both transferred um I'm devastated because you know when you, they do the the transfer and apparently you can see a little flash of like when they put the embryo in I completely missed it I was looking at the wrong end of the screen <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah then I was which we all love, right? Mm-hmm. We all love. I did not, did not do a home pregnancy test during those two weeks, though. I just, all all of my friends were like, man, I can't believe you, you actually waited. And I was like, well, I just didn't want the excitement then to be disappointed or the disappointment then to realise that it, you know what I mean? So I didn't. I didn't test it all, just went about my day, the longest two weeks of my life. <laughs> um, fast forward 14 days and I go off for my pregnant, uh, for the blood test, pregnancy test. Again, you've got to wait for your clinic to call you. They don't call until like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, what? So during that time I was at work, not concentrating very well and, and during that time at work I was actually writing down questions to ask the clinic and interestingly all of those questions were okay what do we do now can I start again immediately do I need to have a period before we try again what you know how does it so it was all this is not worked yeah um and so the phone finally rang and I picked it up and I was you know obviously upset because I I knew kind of what the outcome was going to be hence all the questions that I had written down and it was a girl um, from the clinic who had actually helped me do my injections so uh, when I was too scaredy cat to do them myself so she's like oh um, I've been waiting all day to call you she goes I've got some amazing news for you and at that point I just dropped the phone and and knew that I didn't need to ask these questions but I, then I picked the phone back up and I was like, well, if that was the case, why did you take till four o'clock to ring me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe she does out... all the bad news stories first so that she can end her day on a high. Must be uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> so, yeah, I was pregnant and I could not believe it. I mean, out of those really low statistics that my um, surgeon took me through, not once but twice, um, the fact that I had endometriosis, the fact that I had that surgery that, um, you know, I wished never happened. Um, my very first round of IVF, four, five injections, maybe only, that's all I had. And by that stage, I was 40, yeah, I was 44 still, 44 years old. Pregnant. And a day one transfers, you have no idea what quality the embryos were or anything else. No, no idea, no idea whatsoever. I mean, and that's kind of why I'm glad I did all the genetic testing and things like that to start off with as well. Um, but, yeah, it works. So now I was like, oh, my God, have I got twins? <laughs> <laughs> How long do you have to wait until you know that? Well, six-week scan. Okay. Six-week scan. So there I was at, yeah, so two weeks in. I now had to wait for four weeks before I could have my scan. But um, I was having regular um, blood tests. I think I was having them every two or three days. Um, I'm not sure whether that's what most women go through, but every two or three days the clinic would send me for another HCG count um, and it was going up at a rapid rate. Like 
big numbers, big numbers, big numbers. So, um, yeah, I was were 44. Going, were you going into the six-week scan thinking, oh, my God, it is twins or? Yes. yes. <laughs> they weren't massive, like they weren't astronomical, but they were big and they kept like tripling and kept going. I just saw all these numbers come up every, you know, two or three days and I'm thinking, well, that's great because I'm still pregnant. Um, but, you know, what does that mean? And I tried not to think too much about it because I was like at the end of the day, um, if I'm blessed with twins, I mean, how amazing is that blessing? Um, I will manage. It's fine. Um, I did in, in, uh, that six week, I think at the, about two weeks after my um, blood test, I, for whatever reason, woke up on a Saturday morning. I remember it vividly. It was the weekend because there was no doctors and I just convinced myself I wasn't pregnant anymore. I don't know why I'm like, I don't feel pregnant. My boobs aren't sore anymore. I'm, I don't feel sick. Um, you know, all that type of stuff, apart from the fact that I think I'd weaned off um, progesterone by that stage as well so that was probably the reason why I wasn't feeling all these things um, so I took the pregnancy test now on the day of my blood test my crazy friend made me take a home pregnancy test I don't know why I'm like I'm pregnant I know I am she goes you have to just pee on the stick just pee on the stick so I peed on a stick and she's like now you keep it and that's your you know that's your keepsake so on this Saturday I had yeah, convinced myself I wasn't pregnant, so I took a pregnancy test. Now, I don't know why this happened, but the pregnancy, it came back positive, but it was super faint, mm. whereas the one I'd taken, you know, a few weeks earlier was like neon lights almost, but this one was super, super, super faint. So, of course. Not to break out, yeah. I freaked out and my next blood test wasn't until the Monday, obviously it being a weekend and things like that. And yeah, it wasn't a great couple of days for me, but it turns out fine. Of course, your mind plays tricks on you. I don't know why that pregnancy test was so light though. I keep telling my friends, don't trust home pregnancy. You tests. must not have peed on it properly somehow. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, turns out I was um, still pregnant. So yeah. And um, six week scan. Um, I went in there um, and I, as it was an internal ultrasound, which awful, awful things, but I was like glued to the screen to see if I could see two sacks. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, right, there's one. And I'm like going like this, going. And it turns out that I only had one. So I had a singleton pregnancy, which, you know, is, is fantastic for me absolutely amazing um didn't really look like a baby at that stage I was kind of like what's that um, and yeah off I went my pregnancy was perfect there was no real um issues I did have nausea for about 16 weeks but I, I was never actually physically sick so lucky um again I felt her move for the first time at about 14 uh, no 16 weeks between 14 and 15 weeks it was actually on the day of my gender reveal that I was like what's that I had a um uh what is it uh, when your placenta's on the back wall very common for IVF pregnancies apparently yeah okay where they place it, it. Oh, okay yeah 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 so I and of course being like a lean person they're like you probably will feel um your baby move quite early um so yeah it was on the day of my gender reveal everyone had left and I was just sitting on the couch and I was like oh my god was that it was that it and I didn't think it was but then the more I felt it the more I was like well this must be it because everyone described it to me as like this like butterflies or bubbling feeling but to me it was actually literally like someone was knocking on my uterus like Hi, I'm in here. Just making <laughs> sure you're in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah, everything went perfectly. Um, I chose to go through the public system here in WA. I, I didn't have maternity leave cover um, because, you know, it was something that I never really thought about too much. Yeah. Um, and then when I did, the waiting periods were too long to even kind of be able to, um, you so I, I didn't really bother um, so chose to go through the public system um, now it wasn't until my third trimester when I really started to experience 
that, I guess, kind of PTSD again around surgery, um, around the chaos that could possibly be childbirth, the yeah. unknown, the pain, the, the everything. Um, so I had a conversation with my obstetrician um, and again in the public system it's kind of like you just see someone who's on the day you don't have a regular obstetrician um, luckily I over all my pregnancy I did see the same two um, obstetricians so that was nice um, but I did say to them you know what's what's my birth options here like you know it's an IVF baby I'm I'm old um what what's the deal here and they're like look if you're dead set on a natural birth then we will try it with you um but given your surgery your surgical history um and the fact that it is an IVF baby and the fact that you are older um we would recommend a cesarean right because I think a lot and, of people without your surgery would have been recommended an induction at the very least but yeah potentially potentially but I guess it was just the whole pressure of contractions and pushing and things like Mm -hmm. that remembering you know I did fall pregnant pretty much six months after my surgery so it wasn't it wasn't a long time for healing and things like that so um at that conversation I was relieved that they were going to offer me a cesarean because I in my mind just the, the chaos and unknown of um, natural childbirth is just something that I I, I couldn't possibly deal with. Um, Had it not been for my surgery, maybe, but at that point in time, I was just kind of like, no, I need to know exactly what's going on, when it's going on. I don't need there to be, you know, buzzing, beeping, lights, people rushing in and and, and things like that. So I'm sure if you hadn't had the surgery, you wouldn't have even thought about it it would just be like oh the say you have a baby <laughs> but... yeah exactly exactly so um I did opt for um a cesarean at that point so in my third trimester obviously as we came um closer to my due date um I started to get increasing massive anxiety about another surgical procedure knowing that when I went in for my egg collection the only way that they could calm me down was to put me under now nobody wants to give birth to a baby completely asleep I mean at the end of the day if that's what needed to happen then that's what needed to happen and I would be okay with that I wouldn't be over the moon about it but I kind of succumbed to the fact that you know maybe I that would be okay um, so I spoke to my obstetrician. I actually engaged um, the services of a trainee midwife as well, being a, a solo person, like I just, just that little bit of extra support. She was amazing, highly recommend trainee midwives. She, I'm still friends with her to this day. She's, she's amazing. Um, and she really helped me navigate these kind of um, feelings of anxiety and, and, and how to deal with them. So I spoke to the obstetrician amongst tears as always ended most of my appointments um and he was kind of like look we don't do this now because of COVID but do you think it would help to desensitize you if we um every time you come in for an appointment we take you on a tour of the holding bays the um operating theater because obviously cesarean um just to kind of desensitize you to these rooms and and the feeling that you get when you enter them. And I was like, yes, that would help massively. Um, So he arranged for me to um, have a, have a tour that on that day. So um, an obstetrician came and got me and then um, walked me through the hospital and and things like that. And we walked into the um, holding bays. So before you just go in for the cesarean and she opened, she swiped her card and the doors opened and I just lost it. Absolutely just lost it. And she was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And turned around and we walked out and she's like, we should have done that differently. I'm terribly sorry. And I was like, no, 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 it's okay. You weren't to know that this is, you probably is my reality that much as well. No. So she's like, do you want to go back in? And I'm like, yes, I do, but just let's wait and let's just open the doors first and then let me walk in there when I'm ready. 
Yeah. I didn't even know we were going into that room. I just thought she was swiping the doors open and, not, you know, we walked down a corridor. So I eventually got in there and, and looked around and I'm like, you know, kind of grasping for breath and, and things like that. But but I I managed okay. And then I looked, so they're like, these are the waiting bays before um, your cesarean. Then you'll go into the operating theatre and then when you come out, you'll be on this side. And as soon as I looked down there, there was an operating bed down there. You know, the one with the <laughs> The ones we don't like. <laughs> And, of course, I, I, I didn't enjoy that much. But she actually um, made me go over and sit on it and, you know, touch it. It sounds so stupid now, but, you know, sit on it and just really become happy with it. And she's like, maybe if we don't refer to it as the operating theatre or the operating bed, but we refer to it as the birthing suite and the birthing bed and things like that. So that really helped. Um I did up a birth plan, um, not really so much a, you know, I want candles burning and, and things like that, but more so this is my story and these are, this is my experience and this is what I'm dealing with at the moment and this is what I need from you as in my, um, my medical team. So I gave that to the um, hospital as soon as possible, knowing it's the public system. Nobody's probably even going to have time to read it, let alone like, you know, take the time to call me and discuss it or anything like that. But I, I had to try, you know, I, I just didn't want it to be another egg collection day. So I um, ended up having the anaesthetists ringing me, the midwives calling me, the obstetrician calling me all prior to my cesarean saying, I've read your plan. I'm on duty that day. I'll be your obstetrician. I'll be your anaesthetist. I'm your midwife. Um, we all know your story, et cetera, et cetera, which you, I just can't thank the public system enough for that. Do you know what I mean? Like it was really unexpected. Yeah, it was really unexpected. Um, I thought I'd give it a try and see if I could make people familiar. And in the end, it worked perfectly. The cesarean, I had no anxiety going into it. Um, the um, needles didn't really phase me much. Um, everybody came into my, my whole medical team came into my room before they took me um, to the, for the procedure and introduced themselves and said, you know, acknowledge that they'd read my birth plan, they understood my situation, um, and they will, you know, make it as comfortable as they possibly can, um, talk me through everything, which was important, but not layer it with all the gory details, just this is what's happening now, this is what's happening now. And one of the things was, obviously, and I'm pretty sure this um, goes for any mother, if my baby's doesn't breathe straight away like that would just I need you to tell me that she's okay and that it's normal even though I know it's normal but you need to tell some me some drugs going on there as well so you need someone to tell you that yeah yeah um as it turns out she she was crying even before she came out because I think they say with cesarean they're so stunned like because one oh, minute no. they're <laughs> yeah, one minute they're nice and cozy in the dark and then the next minute they're like, what is this? Um, she did have to go um, and stay on the resuscitator for a little while because um, um, for some oxygen, but they came to me and they explained it's not low, it's not, she's not in danger, she's just, she just needs a little bit of help and she was there for like 10 minutes and then, and then they, um, she never left my sight, I could see her and um, yeah. The rest did they do a traditional cesarean or did they go through your other scar then? Interesting question. Well, they did actually give me the option. Yeah. Um, and I was going to go through my original scar um, because I thought, well, I'm going to end up with a roadmap on my stomach. Like, what, what on earth? But in the end, I actually opted for a traditional only because um, they did tell me that if they go vertical, it is your recovery is a little bit longer. Right. Um. And, and speaking of recovery, I was, again, anxious about the recovery from the cesarean being exactly what I had already gone through um, with my laparotomy. Um, and I guess that was something that only my experience would tell me otherwise. Um, and as it turns out, I, I found the recovery from my, my cesarean an absolute walk in the park. I didn't have any issues, no pain, no 
couldn't roll over, couldn't stand up, couldn't sit, nothing like that whatsoever. I think it's probably good that I went through that laparotomy because <laughs> that was like the worst of the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so my beautiful girl, um, her name is Charlie oh. and she is about six and a half months old. Wow. So, yeah, amazing. So how is life as a solo mum? Is it everything you thought it would be? It's better. It's way better. It's way better. I mean, it helps that she's an absolute angel um, and she's just such a happy baby. She she hardly ever cries. She's not, she's just chilled. I, I'll put her on the mat and if I'm pottering in the kitchen and she can see me, she's happy to play on her own for like 40 minutes, an hour, like as long as she can see me, you know. Um, she's just so chill. So that she's she makes my job really easy. So, and it helps that she's an amazing sleeper as well. So touch wood. Yeah. And do you find you've got a good support network around you or you're not really needing it as much as you thought it would? Yeah, I'm not really needing it, um, which is good because it's not, my support network is not that big. So, you know, when they talk about solo mums, I'm really in the, in the solo trenches, but I've got a lot of friends and, a, a, you know, a lot of family, but they also have their lives as well, you know what I mean? So I, it's kind of it's kind of hard. But luckily, thankfully, I haven't needed um, too much of a big village. Yeah. yeah. And have you thought anything more about whether you'll expand the family or are you one and done? I think I'm one and done only because I'm actually 46 now. Um, so my... Um, well, no, I'll be 46 this year, apologies. My specialist did say to me that if I wanted to go again, he's like, you need to go now, like soon, straight after. And I'm just like, nah, nah. I think I'm one and done. I'm really happy with her. She's amazing. We're going to have a great life together. I'm, you know, I can't wait to do all these awesome things with her when she gets, you know, just that little bit older without wishing her life away. I know. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, look, if I had some embryos or something like that on ice, maybe I might have thought about it. But at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm done. My clinic did actually send me like the storage fees for my um, sperm and I, was, I phoned them up and I said, look, I'm just not going to use it. And they're like, look, Jamie, you're in the trenches at the moment. How about you just store it for another 12 months and see because you may change your mind. So, yeah, I've, I've kept it, but I'm pretty certain I'm one and done. And if you could look back now, excluding obviously the, the surgery part, is there anything you think you'd do differently? No. 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 I would do it all over again a thousand times over if, I, if, if it meant that I've, I've got her. I firmly believe, and this is going to sound so like, you know, weird, but I firmly believe that she waited for me. She was waiting for me all those years. Sorry I made you wait, darling. Because, um, yeah, she's just a perfect fit for me. And everyone says she's kind of like an old soul, like she's been here before. Um, yeah, amazing. And if anyone is just considering whether this is the right journey for them or not, is there any advice you'd give to them? Do it. Do it. <laughs> don't, don't give it a second thought because you can, you know, if we did, you know, overthink it, would we all be here? Like, you know what I mean? Would the community be so big? I, I just think that people can overthink it and talk themselves out of it because of the difficulties and the, and the, and the potential suffering along the way. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm nowhere near toddler life at the moment, but I hear that's crazy. Like, you know, (laughs) you'd probably talk yourself out of it. Just don't overthink it. If it is something that you think the same as me, you know, you might wake up one day and, and regret it. Then, then just give it a go and give it a go sooner rather than later because not only obviously does the biological clock tick but the process itself is quite a long process too. So, you know, I just thought one day, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try this and the next day I'd be pregnant, you know what I mean? Not like 
years. a year and a half later. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I would just highly recommend it. I'm such an advocate for it. All my friends who know someone who's thinking about um, going through this journey, they all contact me and say, would you mind having a chat with my friend? Um, she's thinking about it, you know, all that type of stuff. So I'm such an advocate for it. It's amazing. It's so rewarding. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing your story. I think it's really refreshing to have someone who's so ancient. <laughs> and my, we'll my, really give my, some people some hope with that one. I did ask my fertility specialist. I did say, so what does this do to the statistics of your clinic? Because <laughs> in WA, they need to publish their statistics of, you know, pregnancies and live births and stuff like that. And he's like, this is fabulous for our statistics. <laughs> and in fact, when I went for my um, handshake appointment, they call it over here, which is congratulations, you're pregnant. See you later. Um, he did turn around to me and he goes, well, don't we have a little beep? Christmas miracle because it was around Christmas when I saw him and he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. He's like, I'm you're gonna be that story I tell all the old ladies that come you to are. see me. And I'm like, all right, mate, calm down. You're gonna <laughs> give it to old. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen. It can. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Jamie. I can't wait for everyone else to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.